I'm Ashley Milne-Tite, and this is The Venture, a branded podcast from Virgin Atlantic and Gimlet Creative. Today, we're continuing our live panel discussions featuring Sir Richard Branson in conversation with entrepreneurs and business founders. This week, we're in Los Angeles, and this panel features leaders from some exciting startups, including the dating app Tinder and the purveyor of shared office spaces, WeWork. Business strategist and author Carol Roth hosts. How are you doing? I'm Carol Roth, and I am so excited to be right here in LA to kick off Virgin Atlantic's Business is an Adventure series. And I am going to introduce somebody who I believe probably needs no introduction, but to be proper, we will do it anyway. And that is Sir Richard Branson. Everybody good? When I think about entrepreneurs and adventure, certainly entrepreneurs have to embrace adventure somewhat or they're not going to be entrepreneurs. But I think a lot of them get stuck with fear and with doubt. So can you share some best practices that if you're an entrepreneur who's facing that fear, how you can put that aside to seize the business adventure? Well, if you start really young, you've got nothing to lose. So one advantage of quitting school at 15. I hope there are no parents here. Uh, um, one, of the, one of the advantages of leaving school at 15 or 16 is you, ha- you haven't got a mortgage, you haven't got a partner, you haven't got children. Uh, so it doesn't actually matter if you fall flat on your face. Um, it, it gets more difficult once you've been to college and you've you know, done your business course um, and maybe you've got your first mortgage. Then it becomes a trickier decision. Um, and it takes a lot more bravery than to, uh, to give it a go. You know, I would still recommend giving it a go. I think the fun of trying is enormous. And, you know, if you haven't got the resources to do it yourself, there are so many people out there w- with cash. Um, that if you've got a good enough idea, you should be able to find somebody to help fund you. All right, so you want to bring some additional people into the conversation? I, I, I think we should. All right, so let's bring out the rest of the panel. Please help me welcome to the stage Cassie Ho, the founder of Blogilates, Miguel McKelvey, the co-founder of WeWork, and Sean Rad, the founder and CEO of Tinder. Coming out here, guys. And let me just uh, give each one of these entrepreneurs a proper introduction. Cassie Ho is the founder of Blogilates, is an award-winning fitness instructor, an entrepreneur, and an online personality. And she is the creator of Blogilates, which is the number one female fitness channel on YouTube with, get this, over 300 million video views and 2.8 million subscribers. Such an inspiration, thank Cassie. You. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Miguel McKelvey, who is the co-founder of WeWork, and he's also his chief creative officer, and he directs all of the architecture and design and construction activities and has been involved in the early stage development of many, many startups, so a lot of good perspectives to add. So, Miguel, welcome. I know that you will all want to swipe right on Sean Rad, who is the founder and CEO of Tinder, the world's leading social app for meeting new people. And we think about a global reach. Tinder is connecting people in all 196 countries and is a top 10 lifestyle app in more than 70 countries. So, Sean, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. 
All right, so I want to take this conversation micro to start and talk a little bit about the nature of the LA entrepreneurial culture and you know some of what maybe the rest of the world can learn from the entrepreneurs in LA. So Cassie, I'm going to kick things off with right. you. How do you think your brand took off to be this global sensation on a global level from something that was just an idea? What's, what's some of your secret behind that? You know, it all has to come from a place where you want to help people and genuinely want to do that. So back in 2009, when I put up my first YouTube video, I was teaching to a class of maybe 40 people at 24-Hour Fitness in like Whittier, California. I was moving to my first job in Boston, so all my students were like, Cassie, I'm going to miss you. What are we going to do? So I said, all right, well, I'll shoot a little video. I'll put it up on YouTube, and you can do that when you miss me. And I didn't realize it at the time, but so many other people were going to be watching the YouTube video. And it was a way to make fitness free and accessible without any equipment. You could do it at home, and that's kind of how Bloglotti started, just from my wanting to teach people. And is there anything about LA in particular and what you've learned being part of this community that you think helped inspire you along the way? Being in LA is really special for a YouTube creator. There, I think it's like become a hub for uh, YouTube people. Anytime you want to collaborate, you just text your friend and be like, hey, we'll be in this video <laughs> with me. And then like they will come and then you collaborate. And it's like so easy. And um, I've created this really nice group of people in LA that we collaborate with all the time. And it's been fun. That's fantastic. Yeah. And Sean, when I think of that global reach, you know, Tinder being a top 10 lifestyle app in more than 70 countries, you've really taken something from you know, this local market and exploded it around the globe. What do you think your secret is? Well, I think what, what's special about LA <clears throat> is the diversity that you have here. When you walk out of the office, the Tinder office, you walk down the street, you sort of get this diverse uh, sense of, of people from different backgrounds, from different professions, and it, it makes you feel closer to who you're building these products for. Um, and for any consumer tech company, um, the closer you are to the user, for any company, the closer you are to the customer, the better you understand them, the more empathy you have, the, the better decisions you're going to make and the better job you're going to do innovating forward for them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Cassie mentioned the, the YouTubers. You mentioned innovation. Miguel, what do you think is special about L.A. in terms of the capacity for L.A. entrepreneurs to be creative and to innovate? I think a lot of what we see is, you know, aspiration. The cool thing about L.A. is that so many people have come here to follow their dream. And I think maybe in the past that was more related to entertainment, but now it's diversified in so many ways. And so, like Sean said, you're finding people who are perhaps inspired by the history and of like coming here to chase their dream, but now they're doing a huge variety of things. So when we did our first building, we were like, you know, a little bit outsiders were like, we gotta be in Hollywood because that's where like movies are made and all the creative will be there. <laughs> but like the reality is, is that people all over the city are creative and are pursuing their passion, you know, in so many different uh, ways. So that's been really cool to see that happen in, you know, here in downtown LA, in Santa Monica, in Hollywood, you know, it's everywhere. I want to switch up the conversation a little bit and talk about building global reputations and businesses. Sean, obviously, you know, you're in so many different countries. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are attempting to expand into global markets? Um, what, I've, what I've noticed is that your culture dilutes with distance. And if you don't have a strong home base and a strong culture and way of doing things, um, then over, overseas, it will dilute to almost nothing. Our team around the world, we bring them to LA all the time. 
um, and, and we, we get to know them and we immerse them into the culture because we underestimate, especially nowadays, like just the value of being physically in a room together, right? You can't, like the phone, I, whatever, you can't translate physical interaction um, and there's just nothing like enjoying an experience together. That's like the Tinder motto, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, new, new. All right, so Miguel, I want to talk about advice for getting started because you have started moving into international locations, globalizing your business. How important do you think it is when you're first starting out to be thinking about being global one day from day one? I think for us, I mean, my partner is uh, Israeli and, you know, I'm from Oregon and we met in New York and Oregon in some ways is a more exotic place to New Yorkers than Israel is. Um, but, um, but we both had that perspective that like we're coming from far away. And so I think we, from the beginning, felt like we were, we were going to reach out. And, we were, and it's not just, you know, other places in the United States, but certainly um, internationally. We had that idea from the beginning. And so I think we always had the perspective that we had like a massive problem to solve. And so it really like created a context in which it allowed us to um, really think big from the beginning. So rather than like sort of um, realizing, well, wow, this problem is really big today, it really put a much bigger context that like, look, we're gonna try to be an international company and very quickly. And so therefore um, it allowed us to always be like, what's like the best solution to this problem? Not like what's like, what will get us halfway there, but we're gonna need to do this in Israel yeah. next year. So we gotta do it right. And I think that's a good context. Um, the other part is I think you, know, you gotta be really confident in what you're doing. If you're not confident you know, in LA or in New York, you can't imagine that it's gonna work in London or Tel Aviv or Amsterdam. So you gotta be super committed and really believe in it. And then it will translate you know, that confidence. Excellent, all right, well it's time for us to take all the deep expertise we have here and pay it forward to a few very exciting LA-based businesses. So if you don't mind, I'm gonna stand up now and invite to the stage the Joanna McFarland, who is the co-founder and CEO of Hop Skip Drive. Help welcome her to the stage. Hopskipdrive.com. If you have kids, you're gonna wanna know about this. Thank you, hi everybody. I'm Joanna McFarland, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Hop Skip Drive. We help families get kids where they need to go safely and reliably when their parents can't by matching families with highly vetted and highly curated care drivers. And we call them care drivers because they're caregivers first and drivers second. So our, our care drivers have a minimum of five years of childcare experience. They're moms, they're teachers, they're nannies, they're used to working with kids, and they go through a very rigorous 15-point certification process to become a care driver. So we are the first rideshare company, we're very proud to be the first rideshare company that fingerprints our drivers because of the cargo we carry. And Hop Skip Drive came from the three of us that founded the business, Carolyn, Janelle, and myself. We have eight kids between us. They go to six different schools. They participate in pretty much every child activity you can imagine. If there's an activity for kids out there, one of our eight kids is doing it. And quite frankly, we just couldn't manage it and we couldn't figure out how to get them there. And so we created Hop Skip Drive to solve our own very real problem. And in doing that, we found that we were solving problems for thousands of families across Los Angeles. We've, we launched a little over a year ago. We're operating all throughout Los Angeles. Uh, we just closed our Series A and are ready to take Hop Skip Drive to millions yeah. of families across the U.S. 
Congratulations, very exciting milestone. So what questions do you have for our panel of esteemed experts? Yes. So, you know, Sean, you mentioned earlier um, culture dilution, and I thought that was really interesting. You were talking about it as you move into international markets. You know, I think it's something that we're really thinking about as you go from kind of four employees to 10 to 20 to 30 to 100 to, you know, we're not at 100 yet, but, um, you know, those first employees are so passionate about the mission and what they're doing, and and as you grow, how do you avoid that cultural dilution, and, and what are your hiring strategies to maintain that culture as you get bigger? Sure. It starts with having a clear understanding of what is the problem you're solving, who's the customer, what is the vision of the company, and constantly communicating that. The other thing is culture is how you act because others are going to take away those behaviors and they're really looking up to, um, to not only their peers but to the people that they work for. So I think um, one thing I realize is you have to be mindful of, you know, as, as the CEO is running it, like what is the message you're giving across in your actions and how are you treating the people you work with because that's how they're going to treat the next person who's going to treat the next person but it really all comes down to how you behave and what you do that really defines the culture. And let's ask Richard as well. I mean, you have hundreds of companies where you've been able to maintain such a vibrant culture. Any thoughts about how a startup can harness the same kind of thing that you thought about from the start? It, it, again, you, it, it, it so much depends on the person who's running a company. I mean, if it's a small company, their, their approach to people, how... how kind they are, how, how much they genuinely care about the people who work for them. Um, and, uh, and you have the advantage that you're also doing something uh, with a real, a real purpose, which will make a big difference to people's lives. Um, so, um, so it shouldn't be, I think, too difficult for you to um, have a very a re really good, motivated workforce. Um, I think, you know, as, as the boss of the company, you shouldn't be frightened of going and getting drunk with, the, with your people, letting your hair down, having some fun with them. Um, uh, Wait till you get to know me. <laughs> but make, make sure you have a notebook in your pocket because all, all the things they'll tell you at the bar, um, you, won't, you won't remember them the next morning unless you write them down. All right, so Good we luck. look forward to seeing you yeah. in many, many markets. Again, congrats on your milestone. Joanna Thank McFarland you. from Hops yeah. Drive. And I would just say for any of you in the audience who have kids ages six and up, you can use my promo code, which is Joanna, and you can get a free ride for your first ride here in LA. Always be selling. I love it. Good job, Joanna. So I know you guys have been busy tweeting in questions. We have time to take just a couple of questions from Twitter. Let's get our questions. So this one, Richard, is, is directly asked to you. What was the riskiest bet that yielded what you see as your best reward? I'll just tell a fun story. I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was, um, my, my kids reached the age of um, 18 and I decided uh, to take them to a casino um, and, uh, and give them $500 each in order to, to, to show them not to, go in, not to go to casinos in the future. Um, so, uh, and, 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 you know, if they want to try to earn enough money to own one, that's fine, but then they don't, must never ever play in a casino. So, so we go in and, um, uh, and we quite quickly, uh, each of us lose our $500, um, and smug dad goes to the bar with them and gives them a little pep talk about, um, you know, this is why you, you mustn't go to casinos and so on. <laughs> and after about half an hour, we've had a few drinks, we're just leaving, leaving the casino. And the table we, we, we'd been on, uh, they, they, everybody stands up, with, gives us a round of applause. 
and there's this massive pile of chips on the table. And we'd left a chip, which, is, which had doubled and doubled and doubled in, the, in that <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> and um, and quickly took the kids out and said, you know, that was the exception to the rule. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next question is, how do you spark creativity in moments where you need an inspiration? Miguel? Well, I'm lucky to live in a place that, to me, feels inspiring every day. Like, when I feel uh, overwhelmed or I can't f really figure out a way to focus or I can't find something, I just walk through New York. And I, sometimes that's for 30 minutes, sometimes it's for, like, three hours. And ev eventually, whatever thing is distracting me dissipates and then I find some kind of clarity. But it's really like both the body moving and also the surroundings, you know, changing and all of that just is um, almost like a meditation and um, it just works for me. Sean, where do you get your creative spark? Um, I think it's about surrounding yourself with the right people and then not being afraid to just have deep and vulnerable conversations with them. Open yourself up. Cassie, yeah. what about you? So if I'm having some type of a block, I can always ask my fans on, you know, Twitter or Instagram, hey, what do you guys think of this or that? Um, but the other important thing is that you need to give yourself space because when you are just so overloaded with information, you just, you can't be creative. So just find quiet, go somewhere, and just let yourself think. Like, just, just go wild. And that's when I get my, my most creativity. What about you, Richard? Um, I think, um, I, I mean, I travel a lot, I meet a lot of people, I listen a lot. By traveling, you, you just come across so many people with so many different wonderful ideas. Um, and, you know, if, you, if you're a good listener, um, you're going to all the time be coming up with ways of improving um, things you're doing already or, you know, or, or new ideas. I mean, unless you get hop, skip, drive up quickly, it's going to be uh, it's going to be in the UK next week. So hurry, hurry up! Love that. <laughs> Love that. And uh, and a perfect a perfect place to conclude. So a huge round of applause for our panel: Sir Richard Branson, Kathy Ho, Sean Rad, and Miguel McKelvey. The Venture is a co-production of Virgin Atlantic, Gimlet Creative, and Filio & Partners. Learn more about The Venture at virginatlantic.com slash theventure. And if this is the first time you're joining us, go back and check out our first six episodes. We profile pioneering businesses in music, food, and tech, and talk to the people who built them from scratch. We were produced this week by Julia Botero and Tom Cody. Sam Baer mixed this episode. The Venture's senior producer is Nicole Wong. Our theme song was composed by Bobby Lord and Matthew Ball. And this is the end of season one. We're excited to have brought you these stories of game-changing businesses. If you've enjoyed the series, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This is The Venture. Thanks so much for listening.